Hi, everyone, and welcome to the RegTech Report, your update on all things RegTech. Well, hello, everyone. This is Stefan, and joining me today is, is Henry, just the two of us today. Hi, Henry. How are you doing? I'm very well, Stefan. Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, for me, it's a bit different to how we usually record these things, because you're always remote, right? But normally, Javier and me, we are sitting in the studio office in the nice decked out, like with the little uh, anti-acoustic uh, paneling on the walls in the office uh, today because of some other appointments. I, I have to do it from home. Um, so I'm actually in a different environment. But I hope, uh, listeners, uh, the audio is okay. I'm, I'm using here a nice microphone, so that should hopefully work <laughs> without problems uh, compared to... Uh, like the typical audio maybe you get in a, in a video conference. Well, I mean, you're coming over loud and clear here. And one of these days, we'll have to get Javier, who's behind the scenes doing all his magic, to actually vid video us and show, show you in that. Yeah. In, in yeah, maybe we should we should just talk about podcast tech because like when we originally started like we also geeked out a bit about microphones and all that kind of stuff and i i think the first time i also looked at it i was like learning about condenser microphones versus like other things and so on it's actually quite fascinating because i mean for sure the quality is much better you can definitely tell the difference but this is also where you can get in the territory of spending unlimited amounts of money <laughs> for minuscule um yeah, like increases get, in quality. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you, you better get back to the office because that you're coming across very clearly here and now <laughs> with your low, your low tech equipment. Yeah, I mean, this kind of maybe brings us also a bit to the topic we wanted to discuss today because we we thought uh, business continuity might be um, a good topic and also something like being able to not rely on just an office infrastructure, being able to do it somewhere else uh, on the spot is maybe one of those particular uh, measures. Um, so, um, yeah, maybe we, we start out with a bit of, like, general intro to the topic in case you're new to it. So, uh, uh, I don't know, Henry, did you have exposure to this kind of BCM disaster recovery world so far? What's what's your take on it? So, so I guess, you know, I, as you said, the, the world has changed. And so the way we have to look at it, um, the, the, our resilience is, is important, you know. But I think there's a... There's a, most, uh, a big misconception between, you know, uh, business continuity and disaster to reco disaster recovery. Um, disaster recovery, obviously, uh, is a core component uh, of a business continuity plan. But um, I think, and this is, I think, the the major setback in people's thinking. Everybody thinks uh, thinks about disaster recovery. You know, what happens when a server fails or um, we have we have a major outage rather than thinking more holistically around the operations of an organization. Um, and that has become more and more important as you know, we digitize, we, are, we outsource um, a lot of our services to, to third parties. But also then, as you said, Stefan, you know, now post-pandemic, we all work from lots of different places. You know? yeah. I, I unashamedly said I was a Neanderthal. I worked five days a week in my office. I didn't think anybody could work from home. They were all shirkers. <laughs> and now... Now I work Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays in the office and on Monday and Friday I find, you know, very productive being at home. But that change in working pattern is uh, is fantastic for our employees, but but creates a whole heap of new issues for people who have to look at that whole business continuity. Um, yeah. Yeah, in, in some ways I, I I think like I think of it also as um it is a particular area also of the general risk management because, I mean, you use 
similar methods, I would say, overall. But you focus on kind of um, looking at your business processes, your activities, um, what could happen to kind of impact them in a way that you're no longer able to run the business, basically the continuity part. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and you're quite right with the new kind of remote work, hybrid work situation, work from anywhere, workation, all these kind of new topics. It it creates some new risks and challenges. It has some opportunities as well, because one thing you are, I would say, overall less reliant on is like something like your overall, like uh, events impacting your office space. You can just say, ah, people just work from home today because, you know, power is out or something like that. And I mean, me, this just, this just recently happened to Metrotech office in Austin, right? I mean, they had a snowstorm in Texas and there was a power outage. Um, so, um, I mean, there were some impacts, but it was not like, um, People could still work if even usually they're an awesome, right? So that usually works. But I, I also had it just in a team. One of my team members is from India, uh, and he couldn't work to yesterday because they had a power outage and his battery was running out on his laptop. So that's something where you have to kind of, it's more distributed. You have to kind of think about then strategies. I was talking to him earlier today, uh, just before uh, our recording here, and I was saying, look, maybe it makes sense for the company to sponsor some kind of extra battery for you because it's not, um, it does happen. Sometimes in yeah. India. Uh, um, so, yeah, this is something on the on the um, kind of day-to-day -day also of this yeah, happening. But, but on the positive side of that, you know, if we'll, if in the old, you know, I, inverted commas and I'll put my air quotes up, in the old <laughs> days when we all worked from an office, um, you know, if there was a power outage, we couldn't work. You know, yeah. that was it. Whereas now, because everybody is distributed, you know, the fact that you know, your power is out in Germany, well, you know, if people... If, yeah. if clients have an issue or we need to do something i can continue to continue to work right. i can continue so so there's positive negatives and i think you know because we've got a this this different environment we need to therefore change our plans accordingly um mm. and i just a an anecdote anecdote you no know, we obviously as a, as a as a supplier of services to some of our clients some of the questions we need to answer um to to our clients around our resilience and they're going so you know what's your the, the, the questions around you know what's your central phone numbers well we don't have central phone numbers anymore we have uh I mean, there are phones that people can use but actually we we encourage people to put tickets into systems those systems are backed up mm -hmm. so you know if you're the person that normally would speak to them but you have a power outage well that can get automatically forwarded over to me to to, to help our clients and they need to adapt their the questions they ask because the yeah. resilience they're asking for is actually we're more resilient than they're asking us to be and we've adapted our plans accordingly to be more resilient in a in a in, in this hybrid world yeah yeah this kind of complexity is what i also find always uh, interesting about this topic i mean if you start out with um you want to kind of prepare for it and do some planning typically what you would do in the beginning um is if you go by the book uh, um you want you want to know what you have and how important it is. Yeah, it's what's called a BIA, a business impact assessment. So you look at your major assets, your processes, um, the basically what your company does or your organization, and you kind of rank it um, based on um, something you can do use use different metrics like something like um, um, uh, also RTO, RPO is like a recovery time objective. Like how long can you live with? that particular thing not working yeah? or that process or people not being able to to work on things is that something like um it costs you a bunch of money like every second it's out i don't know something like a um that would be for like um uh, i don't know like um, um stock exchange for example yeah? 
uh, or uh, I don't know, it's it's something that you do maybe once a month, and the rest of the time it doesn't really matter, uh, and then it's maybe just a short time frame. So that's a very important step in my view to kind of focus, because again, like always, also in risk management and all these related topics, you can't eat the whole elephant at the, at the same time. You need to kind of focus where you start, and yeah, start with the most important things. And I, and I guess that that sort of I guess what you're talking about is, is say is that operation resilience and, and with something we're certainly starting to see um a, a regulatory focus and you know you talk about stock exchanges there you know no. so but you know I spent most of my life talking to financial services organizations and there is a lot of focus now um uh, you know in the UK from the Bank of England uh, PRA FCA around resilience so there's a there was a came out last came into law last year ss121 exactly around that that operation yeah. resilience ensuring that you understand in their mind is not necessarily you know you understand the impact of your business on the market so mm. where you know if you if you control 30 40 percent of the fx market um you know if that that goes down then that has a major major disruption on the financial services market you yeah. know it may not actually make you much money. The margins may be very small and may not be a significant part of your business, but because it has an impact on the market, it's not just looking internally now at yeah. your resilience, but the resilience of the market. There is a, there's an, an increase now pressure from regulators to, for firms to, un, to understand that. And I think, I guess to your earlier point, I think firms generally were, but there's a new focus now, not just on the internal resilience, but the external resilience um, on the marketplace as well. Yeah, it's a new Dora on the EU level, right? So um, these things are being discussed and uh, quite um, top, of, top of mind. And I would say, like in this whole context, like there's also critical infrastructure protection uh, is, um, is, a, is a key word. They are kind of thinking of where really, um, like the the threshold I heard is like if 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 you the stuff you're doing is impacting like five hundred thousand people, and you often have, you have that in surprising areas where you would not, often not think about it, um, um, like you, you you should better do something about it because that that has really major impact on the way our society works, and uh, I think we all become very aware of it. Like the of, with the state of the world has been in the last years currently with war going on in Europe uh, and pandemic before. Um, and what I, re what I really liked about that word resilience, I mean, the first time, I think the why, why it's currently being used like with this uh, OR, operational resilience, but I think the Bank of England was um, the first one to kind of bring that out as a kind of marriage of the old operational risk and business continuity words. Um, it's also a term, uh, and I, I think I mentioned this in the podcast when we when we were all in lockdown. It's a term also from psychology, like how people react to adverse situations. So, like a measure in um, even in the uh, big five personality traits, um, how well you basically cope with um, kind of things that are out of the norm and kind of impacting you like some kind of adverse situation. Huh? Um, and that's something that comes with experience, but there's also some base personality. But I think it fits it well from the individual level, but also to an organization level. This is really what it's all about, that you are, that you can react in a, in a good fashion to when something like this is happening. Huh? And, and basically you won't be able to run everything the same as before, but at least some, some basic version of it, uh, for example. That's that's one way to do it. Mm. 
I mean, it's interesting you, you, you mentioned Dora, and obviously that's got a big focus on sort of cyber resilience. And obviously, as this, as our world becomes more digitized, we outsource that the, the cyber threat is ever, ever more um, prevalent. I don't want to turn this into a, a cyber discussion, but, but focusing on the resilient. Everything is cyber, Henry. Everything well, is cyber. <laughs> it is. But I don't know if you saw the SEC now, because so, obviously a lot of the resilience agenda has been around um, financial services. You now have the SEC now looking at, and it, they've been talking about this before, but it looks likely this year that boards of listed companies in the US are now going to need to have to be able to report on their their cyber maturity, their their, their understanding of what threats to your point, mm-hmm. what threat uh, are we susceptible to, and what is the maturity of the board in understanding those threats. And to your point, it's like you, you are going to get attacked. The question is to what level and and how do you react to it and how can you continue your business um, uh, after one of those attacks? So, so it, it, I guess it's interesting now. You know, the SEC you know, last year they were talking about ESG and everything else, and I think they're they're finally not finally they're they're maturing their thought process to so say right as an investor in a listed company, this is the sort of information you need to know. You need to know what their ESG posture is. You need to know what their their susceptibility to, is to cyber attacks and how prepared are they in terms of or oh, do they do they have the right knowledge do they have the right leaders in place to be able to drive their business through through this this new this new world and i think you know it's we can only see that resilience as, as you say it's all about cyber that's because it's a major threat new new threat um you know compared to 20 30 years ago but it's a threat that we need to be very cognizant of and just be part of our day-to-day dna and our thinking yeah yeah it's um, um if i compare from my experience uh, kind of cyber events versus general uh, business continuity which you often which people often connect with natural disasters right I mean, we also have the earthquake in turkey for example right now um in these kind of situations often it's very difficult to deal with because there's lots of impact, um, but you kind of know what's going on. Yeah? I mean, that's that's the difference, I would say, to to cyber. In, in cyber attacks, um, you might not even notice that it's going on, or if you notice and while you're doing it, and this is, this is what I had when, when I had to deal with these things, you don't really know what's going on, even though you know something is happening. Um, but like getting assurance, ah, did I catch everything? Did I really identify all the affected individuals that I need to notify now of this data breach? <laughs> or is there something more? Yeah, this is this is really a big difference. And um, the reason also is um, it's not some kind of uh, uh, force majeure, some big event. Yeah, it's an intelligent actor on the other side. Usually, um, you're, that's your op- opponent reacting to what you do. Huh? Um, so that's maybe a bit of a different quality, I would say. Mm. Um, but maybe also interesting new technologies uh, coming out in, the, in that space uh, in the future. Uh, well, I, I guess talking about new, new tech, tech technologies, maybe we should move move to move to our cyber basics. And yeah. given, given I'm the Neanderthal here, and you're, I'm, I'm going to tee this up, and then you're going to take this away. So, do you know what time it is? Time for cyber basics. Um, Chat GPT, um, obviously. I don't think there's many people who don't don't know about it. Um, again, in preparing for this, Javier was talking about uh, how he he's been he's been using this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, and I know uh, I think you said you you'd got it to to compose you an email. I um, 
I haven't used it as much as I should have done. Um, I, we know, you know, famously that it's passed uh, an MBA um, uh, exams. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, maybe, maybe it's the way I'm wired. I, I, I a few years ago had to do a um, uh, a speech. There's a there's a thing called the Burns Night, which is a Scottish called Robbie Burns, and no. there's a traditional set of toasts you do: a toast to the lassies and a toast to the laddies. The first one I ever turned up to, my friend who was organising, asked me to do a toast the lassies. So I just thought, wonder whether Chat GPT could could write me a speech. Um, sadly, I think it was a bit too nuanced for that. Okay. But, um, uh, <laughs> Always modified, and you know, you can have a conversation with it and say, "Ah, could you make it a bit less nuanced?" And then it will write ah, a new. Okay. Version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, maybe you know, just just for a side base, maybe maybe you, uh, Stefan, could could you sort of give us a you know, what is it and and, and where do you see you know, it, you know, is is it just a gimmick or is it something that really is going to transform? Yeah. transform? Yeah. And it's because it's come very much to the public eye because it's also the, it gets very good results. Yeah? And I mean, it's a, it's a big invest in marketing from OpenAI. They spend a lot tons of money to open it up currently, but I think it's a great move. I mean, overall. Um, even though I might may know a little bit more than you, Henry, on the details, because way 20 years ago, I had a machine learning course in uni. And apparently people tell me the, the methods are still the same. You have just more processing power, more data. Um, so, <laughs> um, but the people really didn't know, like in our team, um, our, our ML engineers and so on were really on this stuff. They, they say, okay, I mean, this has been going on a while, right? I mean, there's different kinds of AI topics. This is what's called generative AI. Uh, what people might have seen maybe a couple of months ago were these image generators. Where you could type in some phrase and then they come up with some kind of picture and then you could say, please draw it in the, in the style of Van Gogh or something like that. So it's the same technology. Um, and it's quite, it's quite fascinating how it works because I know from the image stuff I, I heard it starts in first iterations with like a noisy picture and it starts removing noise and then something, some, something suddenly appears. I guess in some ways people can maybe. Maybe it's a sign that people can't really explain anymore how exactly this this stuff works, um, but it's um, somehow getting to the point where using the stuff people have been doing for years, but now you get this kind of um, intersection of processing power, lots of training data, maybe a bit more intelligent way of how to use it, but now you see all the results um, in, uh, in kind of being able to do that. But I think it's already been used a bit under the surface, even years ago, um, translation services have become much better. It's again similar technology, and um, I heard even years ago, uh, I think a lot of um, news reports for financial news and sports news were already written by such algorithms because they basically take some data and just spin some text around it. Um, so apparently, that's been used by by publishing houses quite a mm. bit. Um, so where's the potential? I think this is really. Um, can be quite transformative um, because this is really, I guess, also in the what like everybody interacts with, like also the sci-fi view of like, I don't know, in Star Trek or something like that, where people are, ah, you just give the computer some command and we all had like Alexa and Siri and so on. Huh? Um, and now my Alexa is turning on here. Um, but uh, <laughs> they, they're not they're not that good. Yeah, But I mean, the, these will get much better in the future um, with the, with this kind of technology. But you can think about also, I mean, in, when we were talking about cyber attacks before, it will definitely be used if it's not already used for phishing campaigns mm. and scams. Yeah, I mean, I, I I must admit, I did. There was one thing I remember doing a uh, when I was sixteen. You had to do a history mm. project, um, and I wrote it on uh, the Opium Wars. And I did actually oh. just re remember, you know, I did a write me a summary of the Opium Wars, 
and that was incredible. I mean, yeah. uh, the level of detail that you could get from asking a very simple question and getting a, you know, a three, four, five hundred uh, word summary was incredible. So, you know, from an education perspective, I think it's probably going to be quite difficult for teachers to, you know, <laughs> on a Sunday night when you're cramming and you've forgotten to do your homework, you know, can yeah. you just get it to write you that essay? And how would how would a teacher know yeah. whether, whether, whether that was written by AI or not by the person? Yeah, I, I guess this would be the new skills going forward, right? How to use the algorithms, like how to feed it the right input that you get proper stuff out, but also how to analyze the output and recognize these things. And I guess you can use other algorithms to uh, and I think I think it's already being done to uh, check uh, text whether uh, it's been likely like there's, there's some statistical methods to analyze whether that's been uh, done by that language model which is called GPT three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, I guess um, you could use, basically use the same algorithm to kind of um, reverse the direction somehow. Um, so um, yeah, that will be jobs of the future, everyone out there. Yeah, if you <laughs> if you're looking for careers, this is something I think where. Um, um, people will really differentiate on how, how well they can use it. And I mean, even going down to coding, and there have been examples I saw on the internet where uh, people um, asked ChatGPT uh, uh, to solve their coding programming problems. And, mm. and apparently sometimes it works, not always. But uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, that's the question, like, do we really need somebody to really hack down on the detailed JavaScript code in the future? Or is it more about how to phrase the specification for it? Um, mm. um, so, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. A very helpful assistant, and uh, if if used judiciously, gives you gives you lots of time back. Yeah, to, to yeah and and uh, let's say um, thinking about the what stage of the technological singularity are we on? I mean, the traditional test that way back uh, dec many decades ago was invented by uh, I don't know was it was it even Turing? It's called the Turing test. I don't know if it was invented by Alan Turing or somebody else just named it afterwards. How to recognize whether you have some some kind of general artificial intelligence? The test goes like you um, you have a chat interface and basically you test it with multiple people and you don't know if it's a person or a computer and then people rate it whether they think it's a computer or a person. Yeah? And I think here we're getting very close where it's almost. Very difficult to distinguish. Huh? Um, but if you've ever ever chatted with uh, teenagers across uh, WhatsApp or anything else, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'd rather do a chat GPT. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> so, so interesting times. So. Indeed. So should we uh, do a top three then? Stephen? Yeah, let's do it. Looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the top three okay so uh, i think this th this week uh new mi new movie releases okay can we can we do some that are also already out or is it only ones that are coming no, I, I have I, someone... we're gonna have to do ones that are already out because okay. that, that's the ones i've chosen so okay. you, can, yeah. you, you can choose okay so do you so, want to go uh, yeah I, I have three i can i can sort of start with one Go on. Do you, do you want to? Do you, well, I, 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 well, my okay. Well, I'll I'll start. So so I've mm. got um, all of mine are actually, which is really weird, uh, are sequels. Okay. Um, so one uh, one. I mean, the one that I didn't think I was going to enjoy was Avatar, uh, the second Avatar. 
I mean, because how can you sit for three and a half hours in the, yeah. or whatever it is, over three hours in a cinema and, and not get bored? And yet somehow uh, Mr. Cameron managed. I agree. I had, I had this on my list as well. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, even this, I can understand this a thing of people saying this is kind of post-Avatar depression, where people mm. leave the theater and then are depressed with the real world because it's not as beautiful as Pandora. Mm. Uh, so, uh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, 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 uh, anyway, I was, I was amazed. Um, mm. Uh, another one uh, which is, I don't know whether you've, it's a Glass Onion, which is uh, a sequel to. It's a knife, uh, then a second knife sound, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't yeah. seen it yet. I, have, I saw the first one. It's good. It's good. But my number one, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, is, again, probably the greatest sequel is, is Maverick, the, the second top gun. <laughs> I'm such a kid. It was just so good. Well, Henry, I also had that out on my list. Now I have to pick two other ones. <laughs> I, just, I just could not believe that you yeah. made that was good. Um, uh, and I have to admit, I've now watched it twice because I watched it, went to the cinema and then watched it on an airplane. Uh, yeah. So that, that really is how sad I am. Yeah, okay. Then maybe I only have one pick because you took two two of my picks. Huh? Um, it's a movie I haven't actually seen yet, but I have it here on my on my uh, on my skybox that I want to see it. Um, it's also been released, I think, officially already last year because it's an Oscar. I think it's mm. has the most Oscar nominations currently. It's uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. It's like a time travel comedy. I haven't seen it. People okay. say it's like excellent. Huh? Um, so um, yeah, looking forward to that. So that seems to be the big tip currently. Um, let me think if I spontaneously can come up with some other things that I liked. I did watch um, yeah. Wakanda Forever also on Disney Plus. That was uh, surprisingly good. Uh, I do like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is, it, it I, is pop. It is popcorn cinema, but it's it, it's um, fascinatingly complex. I would say nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I normally like the Marvels. I don't know. Mm. Maybe I wasn't wasn't the right mood for that one. The other yeah. one I will recommend is Bullet Train. If you haven't, if you've seen that, I've seen only the trailers, yeah, but that also looks like fun. That that yeah. that uh, high octane, uh, high, yeah. high octane. And I do like to go on fast trains. So there you go. There we go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, right. that's really good. Really good to, to chat again. Until, yeah, you too. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter. Follow our dedicated podcast handle at the RegTech Rep. 